Support for the Rink Rat Report podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code RINKRAT. That is R-I-N-K-R-A-T. All one word at manscaped.com. That is R-I-N-K-R-A-T at manscaped.com. If that's if my math is correct, that's about 16 million balls. All right. Welcome everyone to the Rink Rat Report Podcast. Bonus episode with your with Sportsnet and NHL Network's very own Sam Cosentino. Sam, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing good. Looking forward to continuing to watch the playoffs. Been been a lot of fun so far. Yeah, best time of the year and busiest time of the year. We're going to get into, we're going to take a look a little bit at the Leaf series. We've, you know, we've gone through both for first two games, posted the game two recap early this morning, but we're also going to get into all the other games that are going on. The NHL is running wild right now. The playoffs are, have not disappointed at all. So I want to get into, Sam, you've been on NHL Network now for, I guess, the duration of this week so far. I wanted to get into like, how do you analyze with so much going on? How do you how do you kind of analyze all of this and digest it and present it to the fans? What's well, it's nice here. Uh, we got a pretty good support staff, so we'll meet every day at three o'clock. We'll go through all the storylines. Um, you know, as Ann also point out, stuff that we think is important, um, and that will get supported either through video or through statistical information that's uh, researched by the by the research department. And then uh, we go on at six and, you know, just kind of do a preview for a couple talking points for each of the few games uh, that are on, on, on that particular night. And then a bit of a recap from the night before. So it's, it's a lot to take in. Um, you know, the, the NHL uh, has a, has a media site that you can use and it takes away all of the ads. So you can get down to just watching video pretty quickly on, on the games that have happened or, or recaps of games that have happened. And then, of course, you got to go through the box scores and, and check out what's going on there and see if there's any any trends or things that uh, that stick out to you. So it's uh, it's an all encompassing effort, uh, but we got a good support group here, so it's awesome. Awesome. And is there any sort of a difference between like when you're doing a regular season versus playoffs, like a busy Wednesday night, for example, versus right now? So the Wednesday night uh, at home for sports night is it's it's a little bit different because we're focused on the one or the two games, even though there might be, you know, eight or 10 games going on. Our focus is, is for that Wednesday night. And so when we're previewing just one game, of course, you have to touch on the topics of of the day that become news and you want an analyst opinion on those things. But for the most part, it's just focusing on the game. So that's where you can kind of get into a little bit more uh, of a breakdown in terms of, you know, trends you might be seeing on ice, uh, power plays, setups, face-off plays that are that are happening. And so um, that focusing on one game format is is kind of cool too because you can really do a deep dive on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the big difference. So here in NHL Network, our show NHL Tonight is, is previewing all the games and still doing a recap, whereas on our Wednesday night, uh, Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey and Sportsnet, we're, we're focused in on the one game if there's one and two if there's two. And of course, we keep you abreast of the other things, but uh, it has to do a little bit with the news of the day as well. Of course, yeah, makes makes sense going into you know covering what you have to cover and being able to go as deep as you can on on those. Awesome. So, 
in the playoffs so far, we have only two series are at 2-0 right now. I thought maybe a few more would be like that. Has there been a favorite series so far? Well, I've been really interested in the Carolina New York Islanders series because I, I I felt like when the Islanders got in that they would be a, a pretty good playoff team for how they play. Mm-hmm. You know, the concerns I had with their power play wasn't very good, 30th in the regular season. Their ability to score goals, I think was 18th or 19th coming into the into the series, but they were getting Barzal back. And then on the flip side of that, you had a Carolina team that was going to be without Svechnikov, who I think is their he's probably their best their best weapon in a number of facets. And then I, I wondered what the goaltending situation would be like, uh, you know, with Ranta and then Frederick Anderson. I know fans in Toronto have seen what Frederick Anderson has done in the playoffs, and, and that would give you a cause for concern. I mean, but every year is different. And, of course, they end up going with Ranta because he was really good down the stretch for for Carolina anyways, and he's been brilliant. So, it, it you know, it's been, it's been pretty tight. Like the first game was essentially decided – with Carolina's two power play goals and, and the Islanders going over four in the power play. Um, and then the next game, you know, you get a lucky bounce on the, on the one goal there. And, uh, you know, uh, the mask, back of the mask for the tying goal. Yeah. Maybe yeah. a little missed high stick in overtime there too. So it is interesting. It's a two Oh series, but it's like now two Voltaire Vinen's out. And it's like, this is a whole yeah. brand new series here. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think I think the Islanders, they still have more to give offensively. So, you know, we're able to get three the other night, and I think that's got to inspire a little confidence for them. But now you got to go on the road. So it becomes exponentially uh, difficult there. But that's the series, like, I, I was interested in it because Carolina was so good all year mm-hmm. because the Islanders were a team that, you know, not that they limped into the playoffs, but it wasn't like they, you know, went on this twelve and one charge to get in. So it was a uh, roller coaster. Having said that, though, like they, they're kind of built for playoff hockey, so mm-hmm. I think that's still going to be a lengthy series, especially with Terravine. He's a nice piece for them. Exactly, and I mean the the whole built for playoff hockey. It may seem like a, a a media narrative, but it's like okay, go back and look at the Islanders a few years ago when they made the conference finals. Like they weren't the big powerhouse regular season team. They just were able to shut it down in the playoffs. And I mean, someone kind of presented it to me uh, pre-playoffs. It was like when you have that strong defensive structure that doesn't allow a lot of variance, that's kind of easier to carry you for, more forward in the playoffs because you know what to expect. You're not giving up those high event negatives in the defensive zone, I suppose you could say, right? Yeah, I think so. I think um, you know, on the Islanders, they, they move pucks pretty good. You know, I think Carolina's speed has has been a little bit challenging for their D to handle. You got to get more uh, support from your forwards. Um, but that that narrative that you talk about, I, I don't think it's. Uh, I think it's real. Um, mm-hmm. I do, and I think uh, the Islanders have a chance here, and and will likely extend the series uh, beginning as early as this game. Exactly. I mean, look at the Leafs from two thousand. I want to say nineteen twenty to now, like how they structured their decor. Like it's a lot more rugged now. It's still a great decor, but it's a lot more rugged, and it kind of holds up better, like throughout the season and even in the playoffs, right? Well, so, and it's deeper, you know. It's deeper, exactly. Too. So it's, it is. I think that's the other part of it. There's there's nine essentially NHL defensemen there. You can debate whether Timmons has earned himself the moniker of, of full time NHL defenseman. If not, he's really close. So eight for sure, and and mm-hmm. nothing to extend it to Timmons. Yeah, <laughs> dual little utility guy back there. But I mean, they gave him two years, 1.1. So they see something there. And I think, I mean, Leafs have he's shown some good stuff too as well, right? So 
uh, sorry to pull us off track there, but the other 2-0 series, let's flip to that one, the Rangers and Devils. This was one that a lot of people thought was going to be close. And I mean, a couple 5-1, uh, 5-1 rompings by the Rangers to start on the road too. Like, what, what have you thought about that one so far? I was at the game, game two last night in the building, and it was interesting because it was a, it was probably a half and a half crowd. You know, some of the Rangers fans can't afford mm-hmm. tickets to get into MSG, so they make the trek into Jersey, which is you know from Midtown Manhattan. You're looking at about a, a half hour's drive to to get in there, and uh, it was like it was loud for both sides. The atmosphere was fantastic at the Rock, um, but there's a couple of things that gave me cause for concern going into the series with Jersey. First of all, their inexperience. Mm-hmm. You know, the next thing would be their goaltending, Manichek. And uh, I, th- I think a little bit of a lone lone ranger there. And Akira Schmid is a guy who I think is uh, like an old school true backup that, that mm-hmm. doesn't play a whole lot. So that was concerning to me. And I think the Diaz look a little suspect for uh, for Jersey to to start this series. Uh, you know, a flip side of that, the power play for the Rangers has been unbelievable. I mean, Chris Kreider is you know two power play goals in each of the first two games to start. Adam Fox has looked like the Norris guy that he is. Um, and, and there's a lot going on there. I mean, Patrick Kane looked like London Knights, Patrick Kane. I saw him briefly after the game last night. It had been a long time since I'd seen him. I said, man, those, those, those hands haven't changed in 20 years. And he had a chuckle and, and, and walked out to the bus there. So pretty cool to, to, uh, see how, you know, he's sort of fit in there now. And, and I think last, last night was probably his best game as okay. a ranking and, you know, they have a lot of different options there. You know, you want to fight, they can do that too. Braden Schneider got in a pretty good tussle there last night. Um, that they, they can do a lot of different things and they can play it a number of ways, the Rangers. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean that power like four goals through two games for Chris Kreider, just like it really helps though. Like he's the good, very good net front presence, but it really helps like Adam Fox along that blue line there up in the up in the point. Oh my God. Like, how do you stop that? Right? Yeah, Kreider, like he really is unstoppable. And it, and it's, you know, it's interesting. It's not by, you know, obviously there's a lot of talent there. I mm-hmm. I would never mean that part, but it's the work ethic that he puts in. I spoke to Ben Harper after the game last night. He's not playing right now. He's, you know, a guy who's been sitting as the seventh uh, defenseman for the Rangers. And he says, oh yeah, I, because I'm not playing, I'm sticking around after practice with Kreider. And that's all he does is tip pucks for hours upon hours on on end over the course of, you know, accumulating over the years. So of course it takes a huge skill to do that, Mm -hmm. but he marries that, that skill with the work ethic. And that's why he's had the kind of success he's had, you know, dating back to when he came into the league and, and essentially started for the Rangers in the playoffs. Exactly. And I mean, like when you look at a guy like Joe Pavelski, like how he plays, he's 37, still putting up points. Like that's how you stay in the league that long and stay productive in the league too. Right. So, yeah, that's it. And and you play to your strengths. I think when you get a little bit older too, you, you play to your strengths. So Kreider mm-hmm. just kind of sets up shop on that left post there. And he's, he's a big guy. So his reach extends to both sides of the net. He can flip around and tip it in the backhand, or he can open himself up along the goal line and, and make himself a pass option too. So uh, he's, uh, he's been really, really dangerous so far. And uh, it's skill and it's definitely the work that goes into it as well. Yeah. And sorry to jump around, but when you said with the devils being inexperienced, I mean, you look at all these like playoff teams that had a lot of success, like how many of them had success in their first go around? Like when you even look at Crosby, Taves, um, I want to even say maybe the LA Kings uh, or some other 
I guess those are pretty good examples there. Like how many of them went the distance in their first go around? Like take some lessons, take some learning, right? It's at, you know, Toronto, how long has it been? Six or six or seven. (laughs) And that's, and that's with the same core. So, you know, some teams it takes longer than others, but there's one thing that rings true just about every time you have to have that experience and you have to have some failure and, and Jersey is not at that stage yet. And they're learning pretty quickly how important that stuff is. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting now that, I mean, Timo Meyer RFA at the end of the year, that's really going to impact it as well in terms of what the team looks like next year. Still young, but, and still can obviously come back to the dance again, but will be interesting to see how they fare down 2-0 going on the road to MSG there. Um, I wanted to flip now to uh, just what has been your favorite series so far? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I did point out the the Islanders oh, uh, series uh, with Carolina, and I thought that one was was pretty good. You know, Edmonton has been pretty fascinating, too, because Dreisaitl's really held up his end of the bargain, and to think that, you know, Edmonton split the first two games with McDavid having only one assist between them is is pretty shocking, but it also speaks to the number of uh, things that, that Ken Holland addressed um, in terms of making his D better, you know, uh, they they settled on a goalie, finding some scoring outside of of McDavid and uh, and Drysaddle. Um, the Vegas series is of interest to me. I, I picked Seattle to win that series as an upset. Um, the Seattle Colorado series, sorry, and then then Vegas Winnipeg too. I picked Winnipeg as as an upset in that series. So they've all have some great interest to me. But maybe the most wild one has to be the Toronto series. When you think about two blowout games, like. That it's just, it was a tale of of four different teams really. So yeah, um, we'll see how things play out when it gets to Florida. I don't expect the games to be that loose no. uh, when the series gets gets to Tampa. But hey, you never know. There's a lot of firepower there with both teams. Exactly. I mean, like when you look at both those games, it's like almost like it was over after the first period for both. Like, and then it's like like how do you kind of like evaluate? blowouts like that in terms of from an analyst perspective because like the game's over almost it's a three nothing game after the first period that's going to massively impact the underlying numbers the expected goals shots all of that it's also going to impact you know like how players are playing and all of that like how do you how do you kind of what do you take away from games like that and how do you look forward after them well, it's kind of fun. I mean, special teams is always an area of focus. Usually when you have high scoring games, you know, there's a special teams element to it. That's, that's fun. And it's watching guys off a, off a set plays and, you know, winning face-offs and seeing, seeing the skill. So that part of it is always fun to, to analyze because, you know, like the, the game is so skilled these days to see these guys do it in this pressure pack situation is, is really neat. Um, you know, and then you can break down some mistakes. You can talk about roster composition, those types of games really open up a, a number of, of different options. And, you know, one of the storylines going into that game too was as a team, I think Toronto was 14-0-1 uh, after a loss in its last 15 losses. And then I think uh, uh, Samsonov was like 12-1-1 with a 9-33 and a, and a sub two goals against after a loss. So those things both rang true. Samsonov was better. The Leafs were better. Toronto picks up the win. Samsonov, you know, calms everything down in the city of Toronto, and and off we go to Tampa. Yeah, that was a little a little scary to see that after that first game, especially you know he's been dealing with some sort of nicks and bruises and whatever. So to see him kind of calm it down in that second game was uh, extremely reassuring. Um, has there been a surprise 
player I would say uh, in that series so far for you, or a favorite player to watch? I guess. Um, let's see. Well, listen, I, I'm really happy for Morgan Riley. Like, here's a guy. I don't know if he played at 100 percent at any point in the year. I don't even think. I don't even know if he's there right now. But he took a, I think, a large. Um, amount of criticism throughout the course of the year uh to know morgan to know the effort and the work that he puts into it to know that he's a really talented guy and probably is not able to extract that great talent because of whatever it is that's that's been ailing him for most of the year it's one of those things that he's well enough to play but not always well enough to be as effective as we've seen him in the past so to pick up those four assists i think three of them were primary assists uh, it was. It's been fun to watch Morgan Riley respond because, you know, you get blown out in the first game and everyone's pointing their finger to the goalie in the D, and then you come back with a blowout win and everyone's thinking, all right, it's going to be the the Matthews Marner Nylander show, and and really, you know, uh, Riley had a had a large hand in that. I know it does. Like going through the game last night doing the podcast, it did really kind of like it was on the afterburner for me because I'm like. John Tavares, hat trick, first one in 20, year, 20 years. My God, where's the time gone? 20 years. And then on top of that, this, like the the five-goal gap, uh, the fights, the fights that happened in the stands between the player, Pat Maroon and the fans going on there. It just it kind of like went down the list. And then someone pointed out like four assists. I'm like, that's right. That's like, that's tied for the most, I believe, in Leafs playoff history. So, yeah. So, so, you know, sometimes it gets, it gets hidden in there behind all that stuff. Right. And again, a big offensive game and everyone's looking to the, to Toronto's, uh, you know, top offensive guys as, as to the reasons why, but really it's Morgan Riley driving it from the back end. Exactly. Exactly. So that is something to, I guess, even for us doing this podcast to, to kind of take a look at and blow out games, what to, what to look at there. That was a good lesson there. Um, I did want to ask you what's been more surprising McDavid with one point through two games or Matthews with zero goals and a seven goal win. Ooh, I McDavid is a little bit more surprising for me. I mean, uh, Matthews has been streaky at points with his goal scoring, uh, you know, really throughout his career and for him to kind of get back moving again, it's probably not going to be just one. It's probably going to be two or three. Um, but McDavid, the ability that that uh, Phil Deneau has had in, in shutting down um, McDavid in that matchup has been really impressive. I think through nine games, if you if you go through a deep dive where the where the two have faced one another, and, and again, it's you know it's not going to mean a ton of ice time because as Jay Woodcroft, you're going to try and avoid that matchup at home. You won't have that opportunity when the series goes to LA. But you know he's. Deneau has done a really good job on on McDavid, that Deneau line um, with Arvidsson and Moore. So that's something to to keep an eye on. There's a history of nine games there. So it's more than just, you know, it's more than just a couple of games. It's it's a decent enough sample size to say that to this point, Deneau has been effective at shutting down McDavid. And, you know, if if he can do that through the rest of the series, then LA has got as good a chance to to win this thing as anybody out there. Exactly. I mean, you go back even further with Phil Deneau. What did he do with that Montreal run? I mean, the the, the actual production, the points, efforts weren't really there in that run, but shut down, he shut down Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner pretty good and then went on and just continued to shut down everyone. So got to give Phil Deneau his flowers there. Uh, to touch on that series real quick, I mean, 
isn't it kind of funny that they that LA and the Oilers massively improved their rosters from for, uh, the prior year, and then they end up facing each other again in the playoffs? Like I, I think Edmonton with that Ekholm uh, addition is really good. Even like Evan Bouchard on the power play, he's really grown into a, a good player. And then LA, the biggest thing for me, Jonas Corpusalo is a solid goaltender. That's a massive upgrade there. Like, isn't it kind of odd that those two are facing each other again yeah and i guess if there's a criticism to the national hockey league's playoff format that's like that's probably it right it's you're gonna lose good teams in the first round now having said that you know this has been a pretty good rivalry going back to to last year and going back to what they did in the regular season like it's it's been a good it's been a good rivalry and sometimes those rivalries are created as you know, as a result of the format, you know, travel plays a key for sure. But uh, you're looking at some of these things that uh, like this Rangers devil series, the Tampa Toronto series, um, you know, there's, there's validity to that as to why this playoff format works. But the flip side of that is that you, you end up losing good teams in round one teams that essentially finish second or third. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a divisional thing, but you know, you're finishing second or third, you're, thinking that you're going to get a matchup that's favorable to you. And that's not always the case because of this playoff format. So listen, at the end of the day, um, both teams improve. And what happens? It was going to be second or third or third or second. I mean, there was a possibility to to go out and win the Pacific Division, but Vegas was able to kind of manhandle that and, and keep its grip on it when it got a little bit uh, close for both teams Uh at the end to try and chase Vegas down. So at the end of the day, though, I mean, I don't think people properly understand that from the National Hockey League's perspective, the playoff format, despite good teams losing out and good teams playing on, it provides a competitive environment to maximize the number of the games in a series. So why is that important? Well, it's important for TV revenue. It's important for gate revenue for for both teams that are involved in that series. And they still feel that they give a cookie to the team that finishes first in the in the conference by way of home ice or in the division by way of getting a wild card winner. So from a National Hockey League perspective, it, it this playoff format checks a lot of boxes. And every time Gary Bettman is asked about it, um, you know, there's some underlying reasons as to why uh, there's very little appetite for the league to change. That's a, that's a very interesting point. I actually hadn't considered that one. That's a... If you go back, I think there's a stat out there somewhere that if you go back and you look at the number of games that are uh, the number of series that I, I want to say that like go to six games or more under this format is exponentially more than under the previous format. So from a team perspective, you're saying, all right, we won first in our conference. We should be able to play the eighth team. That's our cookie for winning the conference. Uh, that cookie now has been re- reduced to home ice. Okay, mm-hmm. so win our conference, you get home ice the, the, the entire way. The the other part of that, again, is okay. So now you you know your reward. I guess in the case of you know like Winnipeg and, and Vegas, you know that's that's a really good series. So even some of those wildcard matchups produce a series that is still longer, still allows both teams to to benefit from the from the gates and the revenues derived from that, from the TV uh, where you have to extend series. That's important revenue for the league as well. 
And ultimately, the owners are saying, all right, this is pretty good for us. From a player perspective, you want to win the cup yeah. and you're thinking that the other format is better suited for you to give you an easier path to get to the cup. So you have kind of battling uh, fra- uh, factions there as to as to where the benefit should land. And, you know, hey, listen, if a guy's shelling out to seven, eight, nine hundred million dollars to buy a hockey club, he should also uh, have a large say as to how the revenue is generated from that hockey club. That's a few things I didn't uh, I didn't even recognize in there. I definitely do want to dig into the numbers part that you mentioned there with like the the length of games. But like you go back uh, like a couple that stick in my head, like Atlanta making the playoffs for the first time in a while, got swept in four games. Columbus made the playoffs for the first time in a while, got swept in four games there. You're not really seeing those easy sweeps. And as you mentioned, like like if you go back to Atlanta, right. I don't, I don't think this format was in place. You have to, it wasn't, no, no, this is prior to this format. Speaking to what you were saying, sorry. Well, sweeps, sweeps are sweeps doesn't do the league really any favors, right? Not at all. Any favors. So that's, you know, that's sort of the, the economics behind it a little bit, but it also, listen, you know, from, from a hockey fans perspective, if you're just a general hockey fan and you have mild rooting interest in a team, and you're and you're watching because you like hockey. Well, it's good to see competitive hockey, right? Who, who, you know, are you interested in sweeps? I don't know. I'm not that interested in sweeps. I'm interested in the series that splits the first two games, and now I know it's going to go uh, five for sure, and and see what happens the next two on on the home ice. And then when you start going back and forth, like that's what interests me about a about a playoff series. And so, as a hockey fan who, you know, who's not supposed to have any rooting interest, I want to see good series that go long. And I want to know that by the end of it, the team that wins has has really gone through a battle, like six game series, seven game series. You know, it takes them more than just the minimum sixteen games to go out and win the Stanley Cup. And I think that's what the Stanley Cup really is all about. It's not just mm-hmm. sweeping, winning sixteen games. It's going sixteen and seven, or you know, whatever the case is, sixteen and four, or even in the case of the Avs, I think last year. So uh, the more the merrier, I guess, is is how they would look at it from a league standpoint. Exactly. That's a great, great, great point there. And at the end of the day, there's only one Stanley Cup handed out, so it doesn't really matter how the format is. There's only one cup, and then the rest is, uh, if you're in first, you're last. There's the second loser, third loser, and so on and so forth. Um, There's one thing I wanted to point out. I don't think there's been enough attention put towards it, but how many goalies have been, like these playoff teams that are in, just the, the goalie controversies with each of them, and like how many goalies have been used for each team? Like look at Vegas is one of them. They're on their fourth goalie. Larry Bersois a decent goalie, I would say, but he's like, he was their fourth on the depth chart at one point. Carolina's got three goalies that they could put in at any point. And great journalism by me. I forget the other one. (laughs) I mean, but Toronto, I mean, you have wall like Murray. Mm -hmm. Should Murray get healthy in Toronto extends and there's a, there's an opportunity there. I mean, Jersey played with Akira Schmid, I think, in the third period uh, last night, if I'm not mistaken. I think he got in there at some point. Um, and, and looking around, like, there's not there's not really, when you think of true number one goalies, they're really hard to find. Like, okay, so I'll give you Florida as a perfect example. They're paying Bobrovsky $10 million. Knight is still out uh, for reasons um, that have been undisclosed. Um, and you have a 30-year-old Alex Lyon making under a million bucks a year. 
who's played the first two games, even after losing game number one. So, you know, how many true number ones are there really in the league? Yeah, Vasilevsky is that guy. Soros is that guy. You couldn't pick one in Toronto. You couldn't pick one in Ottawa. Um, Winnipeg has one in Connor Hellebuck. You can't pick one in Vegas. The LA Kings, I mean, is Corpusalo a true number one goalie? Phoenix Copley, like, I, I wouldn't say so. So go go through all the teams in the National Hockey League and, and, and look at what a true number one is. A guy who plays a lot, a guy who wins a lot, who's got a great save percentage, a great goals against. For for simple, basic, let alone the, the goals expected and all that kind of stuff, go and look down the list. You know, guys that are playing between 55 and 60 games that have a goals against in that 230 range and a save percentage in the 910 or more range. There's not, there's not a lot of them. Not exactly. Do you think this opens up to some more tandems? coming about in the playoffs well here's the interesting story about the tandem piece okay and so dean everson went on the record saying that this is what we did in minnesota all year long and for the most part you know when you look at the stats flurry played 340 minutes more than gustafson okay now gustafson had the better goals against the better save percentage started made 51 saves in his first ever start in the double overtime winning game one and then they come back with Flurry, and Flurry gives up what was it seven goals and six and it's six or seven in game two. So at that point, like I'm all for the tandem getting you there. I'm all for going the hot for the hot hand once you get there. And and I, I pointed out specifically on our show uh, last night was Mark Andre Flurry is different than most other guys you'd have in a tandem. He's won cups. He's a veteran guy. He can come in cold off the bench and give you the same performance as if he told me he was starting three days earlier. So in my opinion, yeah, I know it was a long game, but you had a day off in between. I had to come back with Gustafson there and let him and let him run with it. Not being afraid at any point to bring in Flurry if I had to for the rest of the series, which likely isn't the case anyways. To your point, last year, I think 13 to 16 teams used two goalies uh, in the playoffs. Um, obviously you're going to lean on that guy and then blow it. So you're going to see the backup come in and so on and so forth. But for me, the, the, the tandem thing doesn't work in the playoffs. I, I want to go with the hot hand. I think the focus becomes a lot more narrow. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, things might be a little willy nilly in the regular season. They're not yeah. in the playoffs. That narrowed focus, I think is particularly important for goaltenders to have. And if I find a hot one, I'm sticking with them. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, you made a great point actually about Flurry, and it's something that, like, there's an there's a direct example of it. Look at his uh, second run. I think it was in Pittsburgh. Like, he wasn't he he wasn't the starter all year. Matt Murray gets injured, and then he was able to go on that run. So, like, he's he's kind of like I don't know a positive guy that he's able to adapt to his situations. So, yeah, playing him in game two was a bit of a head scratcher i don't know if maybe there's something behind closed doors there but who knows we're uh we can only speculate on what we got right yeah no Stu grimson uh <clears throat> communicated with dean evison and and basically he said that's what we've done all year and that's what we we're going with and i think there was a sense of maybe being overwhelmed by uh dallas uh, on home ice for game number two after the you know the loss that occurred in game one and and those things combined just just led to that decision so again it's not a decision i would have made i don't know if it's a series changing decision um but i 
if I were the guy in charge, I'd be sticking with the hot hand. Exactly. Still 1-1 at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what the score was. If it was 7-2-8-2-2-1 triple over time, still a 1-1 series there. Um, my last question I got here, is there a series where you don't know where it's going to go? It's just like you you have to see it to believe it. Well, I think the Toronto-Tampa series is that. <laughs> um, you know, like Toronto fans were were so distraught after that first game and had every reason to be because their worst nightmares came true. I mean, you're down 118 into the game. You're down 2 nothing, eight, eight minutes and change into the game. You got a goalie who gives up six shots on six goals on 29 shots and can't even play the third period. And you have a guy who started 11 games as the backup. So that was like, without a doubt, the worst case scenario for, for the Toronto Maple Leafs in game number one, not to mention the, the suspension taken by, by Bunting. Um, so that series, because it's been two really lopsided victories, I, I have no idea where it's going to go. I, I thought, and I picked Toronto to win the series because I felt for the first time that, you know, Tampa showed some weakness in, in its, uh, you know, three year plus run, you know, benching guys, injuries, Chernak and Hedman now. But there is a will there and an understanding and an experience there that is not to be taken lightly. And if it's Perry or Sorelli or uh, Killorn or Colton or whatever the case might be, these guys have an innate sense of we can still get it done. And let's not forget, Braden Point missed, played nine of the 23 games last year. If he plays all 23, Tampa probably wins the cup. I mean, he's that good, you know, 51 goals or whatever this year. but. I think that series to me is, I have no idea where it's going to go. Yeah. And I mean, the first two games have not led us into what's going to happen because I'll be, I'll be completely shocked. I almost want to put a bet on like, is there going to be another five goal differential game there? Because it's just the first two games are completely ridiculous. Right. So. I mean, I don't see it, but who knows? Who knows? Who knows? We'll see a lot of things to even just wait for every single game time so many guys game time decisions suspensions and all that nonsense but yeah it's the playoffs best time of the year is there anything you wanted to plug yeah the, the hockey gives blood uh, initiative is something that i support uh and, and have done a lot of work with so thanks for for giving that a plug basically we're just asking people if you're young to think about um uh, donating plasma um just kind of a simple thing to do. Uh, and if you're an older guy like me, give blood as often as you can. I'm due. So when I find some time to schedule here in the next week or two, I'll be going to, to give blood. Uh, people need it every day. And there's been shortages as a result of the pandemic. So hockey gives blood. You can kind of connect with some ambassadors there that might, um, you know, inspire you to do some of those things. But by all means, thanks for the opportunity to mention that. Of course, of course. You know, I asked the same question twice. I messed up the the outro of this, but you've been awesome today. Thanks so much for joining me, Sam. Yeah, anytime, Pez. Take care, buddy. Take care. The Rink Rat Report podcast is also brought to you by Boston Pizza's new playoff menu developed using Fanalytics. BP has run the numbers to craft the perfect playoff menu, which includes our winged ribs, the new league leader in wings above replacement. Visit BP for puck drop tonight.